Hey guys, I wanted to invite you to an event I'm going to be hosting at my home in Waco, Texas, June 16th through the 17th. This gathering is going to revolve around the Enneagram. You guys have heard me talk about the Enneagram, and I cannot say enough good things about this self-discovery tool uh, spiritually, um, in life, in business, in relationships. This thing has really unpacked so much beauty, uh, so much awareness for me, uh, and I want to share this gift with you. We are bringing in Chris Hewerts. You guys have heard his wife, Felina, on the podcast. Chris has been on the podcast. They're from the Gravity Center in Omaha, Nebraska. And Chris is one of the foremost leading experts in the United States around the conversation of the Enneagram. This is going to be a time of self-discovery, uh, a time of beauty. I also want it to be a time of rest uh, so we can learn how to be. We can learn who we are at the soul level so we can go out and do our good and necessary work. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be super chill, super laid back. We've got a few spots left and we would love to see you there. Uh, you can go to ashtongustafson.com slash Enneagram, E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M, and uh, find out more information. Would love to see you there. And uh, yeah, won't be the same without you. Shane Hips is an executive coach, sought after speaker, and author of several award-winning books. His most recent is Cats Don't Bark, a guide to knowing who you are, accepting who you are not, and living your unique purpose. Through his unique coaching techniques, trainings, and workshops, Shane unlocks purpose, potential, and creativity for those he leads. He joins us in this episode of Let the Music Play podcast as we talk about how finding our why in life is like tuning a guitar and how we must become connoisseurs of the sound our heart makes. Hi, I'm Ashton Gustafson, and welcome to Let the Music Play. The ego is not a bad thing, right? Uh, any more than a dog is a bad thing. Um, but you really don't want your dog eating at the kitchen table. Uh, it's going to make a mess. Uh, you do want your dog to guard your house sometimes. Yep. <clears throat> really helpful. Uh, you also want to have your dog on a leash when you're out and about. Um, and so your ego's like a dog. <laughs> it is designed beautifully as the meaning maker, the one who tells the stories about what is and what it all means. Hey guys, Ashton Gustafson here, and welcome back to another episode of Let the Music Play. This is where we chat about what it looks like, what it feels like, and what it means to make music with our lives, our relationships, and our careers. Uh, about a couple weeks ago, a buddy of mine sent me a text and he said, hey, there's an individual that I would love to hear a conversation uh, happen between the two of you. Uh, and he's an avid listener of the podcast. So we started sending a couple emails back and forth. Uh, I started to research a little bit of the individual that he shared with me, bought a book that he had written and found some uh, online videos that he had posted. And I just thought, man, this guy, uh, he is dialed in with all things Let the Music Play. His name is Shane Hips. Uh, he comes to us from Arizona. Uh, he's a business consultant, coach, uh, visionary, thought leader, uh, fill in the blank. Uh, he's a guy with deep soul and has a lot of uh, beautiful things happening around the country. And with that being said, uh, it's my pleasure to introduce Shane to the show. Shane, thanks so much for joining us. Glad to be with you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. So uh, for those of us that maybe uh, haven't crossed paths with you yet, we haven't seen videos or read your books or writings, um, how would you introduce us to you and the work you put into the world? Um, I'm a, uh, 
leadership and executive development consultant for corporate America. That's sort of the current incarnation that I inhabit. Um, but I, I come to this line of work in, in the least linear way possible. So I started my career in advertising, uh, for, as a strategic planner, I worked on Porsche cars, North America. And then I did what all ad guys do. I left that career and I went to seminary and I became a Mennonite pastor. <laughs> and then I eventually became a mega church pastor along the way. I wrote a bunch, a couple of books, a handful of books speaking around what have you. And, um, what, uh, happened was when I was at the, uh, mega church, a church called Mars Hill Bible church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, started by a guy named Rob Bell. Rob and I worked together and, uh, we were co-teachers. So I would teach about half the time he would teach the other half and people would listen from around the world to the podcast. And I started getting contacted by CEOs asking for conversations and I didn't really know why. And as we talked, I realized that I, I had not run a business. Um, and uh, the what I learned in our conversations was that running medium to large businesses is operationally more complex than running churches by a factor of a thousand. Um, mm. um, but what I also learned was that running companies was emotionally less complex than running churches by a factor of a thousand. Interesting. And, the higher you get in the organization, the more your responsibility is learning to lead change in an emotional system, no longer just making good business choices. And there's there's quite a body of knowledge and an approach to how you go about leading change and leading impact in an emotional system. And I, I didn't know this about myself, but I guess through my training and background, I had a knack for it. And so what was very low hanging fruit to me seemed quite wizard like to them. And I was glad for that, <laughs> that I could be helpful. And uh, in a very short period of time, after working with a couple of CEOs, I started to just get really excited about it. And I um, left the, my career as a pastor and became effectively what is like a, um, I guess it's like being a chaplain to corporate America in some ways. Wow. And, and I love how you kind of lead with the dialogue of this is a very, uh, this was not a linear path, um, for you, <laughs> which I, I think in the book, so this book you've written is called cats don't bark, a guide to knowing who you are, accepting who you are not and living your unique purpose. Um, so I, just right out of the gate, uh, before we get into this book, most books like this are like, here's how you find out who you are. Um, and I love that you gave some space to accepting who you are not. Um, your journey was kind of, man, you taste tested. You, you did a lot of different things before you found this divine, you know, true path that you were after. I, I did. <laughs> I did try <laughs> Yes. Um, so I just I just love that. And I think um, that it's a, get, a great gateway as we get into this conversation and talk about the book, because a lot of times these books, they um, th they're given to be uh, like a map in some way, um, which is a good thing. But I, but I think that you give some freedom here uh, in this book to where, um, look, there's going to be some mystery. There's going to be some uncertainty. There's going to be a lot of unknowing as you go out uh, and move into your um, path and purpose that you want to live out in the world. That is right. Awesome. So, uh, before we get into it, I always begin, I love when people pick great quotes to start the book. So this first quote that you begin the book is by Hafiz and it says, you carry all the ingredients to turn your life into a nightmare. Don't mix them. You have all the genius to build a swing in your backyard for God. 
That sounds like a hell of a lot more fun. Let's start laughing, drawing blueprints, and gathering our talented friends. You carry all the ingredients to turn your existence into joy. Mix them. Mix them. Love it. So if, if you guys like that quote, gets the book going. Uh, it's perfect for all things. Let the music play. And then you start in the book and you go, look, the first question that we all ask is, why are we here? Um, and one of, the, one of the quotes that I wanted to read just to kind of hear you riff on, uh, page 10 of this book, you state that, um, let's see, where is it here? That finding direction and living with purpose are as much about discovering who we are as they are about accepting what we're not. So you want to walk us through kind of what you mean by this idea of accepting what and who you are not? Yeah, you know, uh, a, a funny thing, I mean, writing a book about purpose is like the worst thing you could possibly attempt because there's about 1.2 trillion books like that already. <laughs> and after a while, they kind of get you know lost in the yeah. mix. Um, but what, what I found was, <clears throat> in it really was a personal experience of helping others and myself learning, <clears throat> I learned that it, limits are an incredibly powerful part yes. of pursuing purpose. And many of us <clears throat> are wrestling through the issue of limits when we're talking about purpose. And sometimes those limits are quite real and are therefore a gift. And sometimes those limits are false and therefore holding us back needlessly. And so those limits can be both external and internal. An external limit most often encountered by people when it comes to limit is uh, calling is money. You know, do I have the resources I need? Do I have the, the, um, the support? I have family to support. I, so that, that's like a, a conversation about limits. Right. How do I relate to and engage my limits? Um, but, the, but there are even more profound limits, um, and they're the ones on the inside. And sometimes they're about talents or skills, but actually those are often the false limits. The real limit, the, the one that you cannot get around no matter how hard you try and how much you lie to yourself, it will come back. And that is the limit of your own desire. Mm. And, and what I, I simply mean by that is what you most want in the world shapes the most fundamental limit for what you can do in the world. And what I mean by that is there's a great kind of approach, a line that I've heard, which is you can use a flute to stir soup, but that's not what it's made for. And it will be a vast underutilization of the tool. Yeah. And so this is where we, I talk about sort of fundamentally connecting with your own sense of desire and then making yourself sort of a slave to that rhythm. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and that will come with limits. There yeah. are lots and lots of things that people want you to want that you might even benefit you. You might get fame or money or any number of things or respect or whatever. But if it's not what you're what gives you life uh, and it's not what you want, then that's a limit that you have to learn to respect. Is, is there a difference between our limits and our capacities? Yeah. So my, my underlying assumption about this nature of finding what we're made for is that people far too often begin with what they're good at. And what they misunderstand is that what you're good at changes based on how committed you are to it. Hmm. So, yeah, I probably have some innate talents for things that I don't really care about. So, yeah, okay, I don't have to work very hard to do those things that I'm not that interested in. 
Um, but there are other things that I might not have sort of my natural talents at my disposal, but if it is my deepest passion, I will find a way to cultivate that skill. There, there is an enormous elasticity to what the human being is capable of when they want something. And that's the thing that I'd rather people see is look, ultimately your talents will be determined from the outside. People on the outside will say you either have that or you don't. So you'll know whether I'm a good singer when I sing. <laughs> and if I'm not, you'll be like, yeah, not, not such a great singer. Um, but what is not determined from the outside is that fundamental desire. That is determined from the inside. And very often I see those two things reversed. Interesting. People come and say, I'm really good at these things. And other people want me to do those things. So I'll put those two together and go. And you go, well, okay, try reversing that and see what the answer looks like. Because it'll be very often different than what you think. Hmm. So a lot of times, more than anything, yeah. Go ahead. Life giving. Yeah. No, that's all. Just more than anything, it'll be life giving. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I think, I mean, we may even be jumping ahead a little bit, but this idea of making choices, uh, often we do that to um, suffice someone else, to please someone else, some 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 other external thing that we think we must or need to do. Sometimes we put that off and do those things rather than staying true. Uh, to that one voice, as you call it in the book. Yeah, yeah. And the one voice is just sort of a metaphor to describe ultimately desire, this thing deep inside you um, that is yours and yours alone. And no one else can give it to you and no one else can take it from you. Uh, There are lots of other things that will masquerade as that one voice. And there are many who will try to convince you that they've heard it for you. Um, But uh, only you can hear it. Hmm. And and at Let the Music Play podcast, anytime we have musical metaphors, we got to talk about them, uh, which this book is full of them, uh, even stirring the soup with a flute. I mean, there you go. Um, but fi- finding our why, you say, is like tuning a guitar. Um, there is nothing more blissful on the planet than being in tune with the source of life within us. Um, in your story uh, that has been this nonlinear journey, um, what are some of the things that you've found to decipher that uh, being in tune, to, to hear that tune, to stay in rhythm with that song uh, that is the source of life within us? Yeah, I think the first thing that it starts with is that what you want matters. <clears throat> gotcha. Just, just caring enough about your own desire is really important. And even the desires that you think are dark or shameful, or if you're Christian or religious, sinful, whatever those things are, there's a difference between a desire and a decision. A desire is a feeling, a decision is an action. So I'm not talking about how you behave. I'm talking about the things that bubble up in you. And if you can separate these two and remove then the lens of judgment, you can allow yourself to let the desires begin to become a great teacher. But you cannot learn from them if you judge them. If you prematurely extract them from you as and name them impractical, inefficient, uh, dark, dangerous, hurtful, any of those things, bad, narcissistic, uh, egotistical, any of those labels and judgments, some of them may be true, but you will not get behind the desire to find out what's what it's serving you, what purpose it serves. And when you get behind it, you can actually listen for the song that your heart sings. And and that's the music you're after, to use your, your metaphor. Yeah. 
So, so just for maybe a listener that is hearing you and I throw metaphors back and forth, um, and it's kind of like, uh, I'm not tracking with these two guys. What am I supposed to do? Just, just, just the, the idea of, um, desire is the soundtrack of this purpose that you're wanting to live out. The, if, if, if you're looking for a map, why don't you first listen to that, that voice, which is desire deep within you? Am I hearing you right? Yeah. That, that, that desire is uniquely yours and it's planted there for a reason. And there are ways to cultivate and wake it up and, and to listen for it. And this will sound really, really simple, um, but it can be extremely effective. So when we talk about living purpose, that's, that's a drudgery kind of heavy-handed, heavy-hearted thing to talk about. Um, if you shrink it way down where there's no risk involved uh, and you just, you just begin to pay attention to what I call a practice in the book called the little things – which is all you do is you say, what do I, what excites me the most next <clears throat> in this day that is, that depends on me and doesn't hurt anyone. So whatever the thing is that, you, that, that excites you and interests you the most next, do that thing with no expectation of the outcome until that desire has finished and then repeat the process. Hmm. And that may sound really banal, yeah. but what it's really doing is it's allowing you to exercise the most critical muscle and calling without all the risk and a baggage attached. And as you exercise that muscle of, you know what, right now I just want to take a nap, then do it. Don't think about it. Don't judge it. Don't try to have expectations for what it's going to give you. And do it as long as it feels exciting to you. <laughs> and then when it's not, do what's next. And now what's, and so this is removing in many ways a lot of the shoulds. Yes. And that's the thing, that's the white noise that crowds out the one voice. That's right. That's right. <clears throat> so that, that's a little things practice. And you do that throughout the day, several times a day. You begin to cultivate a muscle that says, wait a minute, so I actually do have a kind of desire, even if it seems small and insignificant, it's still the desire. And it's somehow my guidance system. Hmm. It's actually a thing that leads me that isn't logical, but it is good. Yeah. Uh, so, man, that's such a good dot connector for me because so much in this space, we hear follow your passion, follow your desire, follow your heart, things like that. And, and immediately, immediately we go to like some real big career decision. Exactly. Um, and yet you're saying... Hey, you want to know where the magic is in this thing? It's in the mundane. Begin, begin at the thing under your nose. Take a nap, take a walk, cook a meal, sing a song. That's it. That's and it. and once we work that desire muscle, and find out it's not so risky after all. Um, maybe ten, twenty, hundred desire choices down the road, we can ask the big question of, okay, at the, at the career decision, do I turn left or right? Is, am I following you there? That's, that's exactly right. And there's a wonderful little um, arc to this, which is you start with the little things muscle and you build it up so that you can get to the point where you're exactly right. The last thing I want someone listening to this to feel is to walk away and go, that's it. I've, I've got to leave my job and I got to move to Africa. Right. <laughs> like, right. Maybe yeah. that's possible. But wow, that's a it's a big shift for you. Um, it, the the interesting thing 
thing is you start there, you develop it, you build it, you have confidence, you begin to listen for that voice and you know it's tenor and you can start to risk bigger decisions with it. But the most amazing thing happens on the other side, which is you start to realize that your purpose is simply an ongoing moment by moment flow of responding to the desires of the heart. Hmm. And it is not a five-year plan. Right. And that, that is a version of calling, which is valid, but there is the highest expression of calling, which is, am I living my purpose in this moment, just this moment? And if I'm off slightly and how I know whether I'm living my purpose is, am I enjoying this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is a really weird thing. Am yeah. I enjoying this? That's not like, no question is, am I making impact? No, right. that's expectations of outcomes. You have no control over that. You only have control over whether you're living in alignment with or out of alignment with your passion, your interest, your desire, your enjoyment, your peace. Yeah. And so you kind of turn in the book and you talk about how the universe loves for us to unwrap this stuff. Um, that like the gift of each day being, uh, I think at one point you write, packed or pregnant with possibility and expectation. I want to read this because um, I just loved how uh, when you do learn this muscle, which this is a muscle, by the way, um, you, you build a rhythm uh, of joy. You bring a rhythm of eager expectation uh, rather than subtle expectation. It's kind of like this, oh man, I wonder, I wonder where my nose of desire is going to take me next. Um, you write, the universe delights in our experience of surprise and the unexpected gift we get to unwrap. For this reason, we must learn to allow the experience of not knowing to serve as a prelude to the joy of surprise. From this posture, the experience of the unknown deepens anticipation. Times of transition become pregnant with possibility and expectation. Um, so this even gets you okay. And, and, and I guess um, knowing that uncertainty and mystery is kind of part of the game when you journey down this desire path. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And for me, the, the, the confrontation with the unknown was created a lot of despair for me. Absolutely. It does. I, I wrestled with it. I, I fought it. It was the dark night of the soul. It was this really difficult thing of not knowing. And then, then I got through it and then I'd go through another phase of calling and wayfinding. And then I'd feel really good and confident and clear that I was on it. And all of a sudden it would blow apart and I'd be in the unknown again. I'm like, Oh my gosh, Oh, this is terrible. And, and, uh, and it was really hard. And then along the way, what I started to realize was this is a cycle hmm. that all of us must do no matter what. And it occurred to me the day that I was sitting there talking to my grandmother and she was 95. She had lived through the Great Depression, the loss of her husband, raised her kids, had grandkids. I was sitting there talking to her. And she said to me at 95, you know, I just don't know what my purpose is. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> right. What? No, I even have to do this again. And I realized, oh, so I have to learn how to do this mm -hmm. because I'm going to have to do it again and again and again. And suddenly I realized it's meant to be a puzzle. Yeah. It's designed this way for a reason. And I keep fighting something that is meant to be this way for a benevolent reason. And there's not one reason, but a reason. 
is the same reason that I just love giving my kids Christmas gifts and I would never think to tell them what they are beforehand. Right. Exactly. I enjoy the tension of dad, what is it? What is it? Now I'm not going to tell you, you can shake the box. You can lie. It's your gift, but only on this. <laughs> and when they open it up, there's this delight. And I realized I have been relating to this calling thing in all the wrong way. Hmm. And what I'll, all I have to do is look back over the course of my life and realize that every single one of those turns was a vast surprise I never could have anticipated and a delightful one. Hmm. Yeah, there might have been loss associated with it, things shifted, whatever, but ultimately it was a really delightful surprise. Yeah. So this this is not a one and done thing. Um, no. This is a, oh, spring, summer, fall, winter, repeat. Um, yep. It, it is uh, seasonal. There's a flow. There's a process. There's a um, a death and renewal, I guess, if you will, um, mm-hmm. of yep. of of all of this. Um, wow, love it. Um, and so, like, one of the things I love that you talk about in the book is you kind of talk about, you know, how do I know if this is is the desire, or you know, how how do I name this thing? You say things like uh, it's it's intuitive awareness. Uh, it's being in the flow. It's synchronicity. It's um, so if people are like, how do I know if it's it's my desire? You're saying the first taste test on this thing is do you enjoy it? Yep. And then once you enjoy something, stay curious on that path, follow your nose until the next thing. And eventually um, you begin to start having this rhythm through life, relationships, business and so forth. Yes. Awesome. And what starts to happen is there's less efforting and a whole lot more flowing. There, there is a quality of, you know, water follows the path of least resistance yep. and it will carve entire canyons from stone with almost no effort. Yeah. And when it encounters an obstacle, it doesn't spend a lot of time trying to figure out whether to climb it or how to, it just kind of, I'll go left. Right. All right. Well, that was easy. And, <laughs> and I realized I spent a lot of my time with kind of the metaphor of the climbing the mountain. And I'm going to effort my way through this. And I'm going to conquer that and figure this out. And uh, there was a fascinating shift that began to take place when I accepted this moment by moment appreciation for my own heart's desire. And life got a whole lot easier. Yeah. And I began to anticipate unexpected meetings and things started coming together and I started to relax into the benevolence of creation. Yeah. There's a genuine benevolence there. And the, the less, the more water like I could become, the better it, it turned out for me. Yeah. And I, I mean, just right there is a beautiful exchange of metaphor. Would you rather climb or be in the flow? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think just right there's a big weight off of a lot of people's shoulders is, because uh, unfortunately, we've been told to climb, right? Um, yes. You know, go climb. No There's pain, the mountain. No That's right. No yeah. pain, no gain. Um, but there is a flow. There's a flow to how things are. Uh, and when you find idea, um, vernacular, words, idea, metaphors for these things, um, man, trade those out and and step into the flow instead of being so worked about um, or run down over the idea of the climb. Um, Mm -hmm. love it. Okay. So the one voice, um, which, you know, in a lot of circles, whether it's Merton or anyone else may call that the true self. Um, 
what I wanted to do is kind of hear you discuss the difference between this one voice uh, and our ego. And it's kind of a both and, but how, how can we empower our ego from that one voice? Do you have any kind of guidance on that for someone who may be going, okay, there's two things going on in my head. Which one's the one voice and which one's the ego? Yeah. And, and you're really <clears throat> talking about what, what the book tries to tease apart a couple of things that often get conflated in this journey. Gotcha. And one of them, I'll just to sort of simplify it a bit. Yeah. I use the metaphor of the one voice, which is this one clear thing within you. And the other one I call the white noise. And that's the thing that drowns out the one voice. And white noise can come in the form of parents' expectations, uh, religious leader expectations, kids' expectations, bosses' expectations, your own inner parent that you've internalized, your own ego, all these things, right? So the ego is one of the elements that contributes to the white noise. And I want to be clear about how I define the ego. The ego is not a bad thing. Right. uh, Any more than a dog is a bad thing. Um, But you really don't want your dog eating at the kitchen table. Uh, It's going to make a mess. Uh, You do want your dog to guard your house sometimes. Really helpful. Uh, You also want to have your dog on a leash when you're out and about. Um, and so your ego is like a dog. <laughs> it is designed beautifully as the meaning maker, the one who tells the stories about what is and what it all means and is there to protect you and help you navigate three-dimensional existence, which is you need food, you need shelter, you need some belonging, you need some connection. It's going to help try to negotiate those things. So that's what it's there for. But when it finds its way into territory that it's not really designed for, it's not very useful. Hmm. And this is where I would say that the, the journey of purpose finding, wayfinding, calling, whatever, is not the domain of the ego. That is the domain of the one voice. The one voice is your heart. Yeah, your spirit your true self. Who knows? I, you know, I, you pick a word, I picked one voice. Um, um, but yes, it's this essential self. And, um, the problem is that the ego tries to masquerade often as though it is that one voice. And it can do so quite convincingly because it's the one speaking in your head a lot and it speaks loud, uh, and frequently and quite assertively. And so it's difficult to sometimes make space from the ego to hear the one voice, which tends to be more subtle, uh, more simple, and uh, not quite so overbearing. It's persistent, but it's quite gentle. Uh, In the same way that water is persistent, but very gentle. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So so that's how I, I mean that. And then what I think you were asking is, how do you know which one is which? Well, it takes practice. Uh, And it's a bit like tuning a guitar uh, in that you will learn over time to hear the note and you'll start to notice, oh, there's a weird vibrato when I play it in this at this pitch. If I bend it up, the vibrato goes away. Oh, okay, maybe that means it's in tune now. And so you can begin to play with this kind of continuum. Well, the ego and the one voice function like that. There's a a tenor, a timber to the ego that the one voice doesn't have. And so... um, some of those things, they're not exhaustive lists, but here are some of them. The, the ego will tend to um, either flatter you or judge you. <laughs> the <laughs> extremes. Be quite of you. Yes, or quite impressed with you. Um, the ego will often have pretty elaborate stories about what other people think of you. 
the ego will often um, be informed by the quality of fear or sometimes anger. Hmm. The ego will be fixated on self-preservation. These are not all bad things. They, they just aren't the domain of wayfinding. Yeah. They're the domain of self-preservation and protection. Whereas the one voice is um, full of acceptance. It lacks the quality of judgment. That's different than discernment. Hmm. Discernment is, this feels better than that. Judgment is, that's wrong. You're doing it bad. Uh, you're not liked. Whatever that is. The one voice will be aware of the needs, longings, desires of others, but not governed by them. Yeah. So there's a whole yeah. longer list that detailed in the book about how you begin to bifurcate and, and separate between these two tenors. And you can start to journal, in fact. You can sit down and journal and listen for and reread and, and actually sense the kind of the tone, the vibration of the sentences that you've been journaling. When you think about your desire, this is one of the practices you could do. Yeah. You could say, I want this. And you start scripting your life. Here's what I want. This is what I like. This is what I need. And you could begin to sense in there like, oh, that sentence there, that was more like ego, I think. Thank you. Uh, this sentence, that was more like something a little deeper. Maybe that was the one voice. It feels more relaxed, more loving, more kind. Right. Uh, it's it's not uh, it has no problem showing you your dark side, but without any judgment. Yeah, it's, a, it's couched with a great quality of acceptance of oh yeah, look at that. There's a little shadow in you there. No problem. Yeah, it you know and you you just got into that a little bit that I loved is um, the the one voice um, when the heart speaks. Uh, it, it, is it loving? Is it kind? Is it gentle? Is it patient? Uh, that's a good uh, litmus test of. What, what is speaking here, or what am I hearing? Whereas mm -hmm. the ego is always going to judge, probably going to be very dualistic. Um, but on the other side, um, there's acceptance. There's, there's a simple uh, simplicity to the message that the one voice is always saying. Um, and it's in the book. You, you really, you've got this kind of bullet points that you break down the side of these. Uh, and it's just a brilliant brilliant way to look at it. And I love how you say that we must become connoisseurs of the sound our heart makes. Um, man, in the midst of all the white noise, uh, is that not our work to find out the sound our heart makes? That's right. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> and, and you talk about um, remaining a student. Uh, you want to talk about kind of what you mean by Listen, when you're, when you're trying to consistently become a connoisseur of what the sound the heart makes, um, what do you mean by saying we should, we should s become or stay like a student in that space? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I just find that my heart endlessly surprises me hmm. with the things that I actually want. And the more limber I become, the easier I can respond. And when I am closed and certain... I lose that limber quality. That closed and certain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and so the opposite of closed and certain is open and curious. And, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that's a pretty straightforward thing. And, and I just find that um, some people who are wrestling with a lot of fear 
will become quite closed and certain because it is a thing that helps give you uh, easier fear. It manages your anxiety. And, and candidly, that's a useful resource. So I'm yeah. not suggesting that closed and certain is always bad. Sometimes it's really essential for you, depending on what's going on in your life. Go ahead, enjoy it. But when you get to a place where you go, something's not working right, it, it, this, this isn't it for me, then the appropriate posture is one of openness and curiosity. And then you'll become very surprised by what it is your heart actually wants. And you talk about um, energy following attention. And, and you write, because I think this would be a good riff off of this, uh, that we recruit resources to align around our attention. So if I'm, if I'm closed and certain, um, then I'm going to recruit voices, um, ideas, proof, uh, of, of what's closed and certain. If I'm open and curious, uh, then my, my fists are going to open up a little bit. I'm going to be able to receive a little bit more. I'm going to recruit a little more curiosity and possibility uh, around what may actually be, be going on inside my chest. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's exactly. good. That's a good word. So, uh, Guys, if y'all are looking for a new book, check it out. It's called Cats Don't Bark. Uh, you can get it on Amazon, anywhere good books are bought and sold. Um, I don't want to give the whole book away, but uh, if, you're, if you're trying to find the, the one voice, the true self, you're looking to uh, decipher, is this the ego? Is this my head or is this my heart? I think this would be a great book. Um, gives you a lot of light, gives you, gives you a lot of openness. It's very vast. Uh, it allows you to kind of take your own journey. Um, and Shane, you did a great job with it. Appreciate your work there. Oh, thanks for the kind words. So um, the next part that I wanted to go into um, was this message that I saw you give online. Um, and, and it was called The Medium is the Message. And uh, I'm, I'm a sucker for all things the art of being human. Um, so if someone's going to journey down or, or has thoughts on what it means to be human, um, I'm, I'm all in. And so I, I absolutely loved uh, this presentation that you gave. And I thought that we could just kind of riff on it a little bit so you could uh, unpack it a bit uh, for our listeners. Because really, I, I think it's I think it's what you were getting into in the book, to be honest with you, um, mm-hmm. is that uh, this this you, the spark within you, the one voice, the true self, the light that you are, um, that's actually the message. And it happens to be encompassed in this human experience that's the medium. Um, and so where do we begin? I don't even know kind of how we set the stage for this. Uh, but I guess basically we could get into, well, there's three parts of the human experience. Yeah, so the, the this video you're referring to is part of three videos that are uh, that I did uh, with Rob Bell at a conference in 2009. And um, the first one was really worked around my first book, which was uh, called Flickering Pixels, How Technology Shapes Your Faith. And that one was really connected to uh, Marshall McLuhan's famous dictum, the medium is the message. And what I did was I argue in that, that as technology changed over the course of 2000 years, theology followed because each tech technology or medium changes what we think and how we think mm-hmm. and therefore changes our conception of god relationships etc right so but that's a larger separate conversation but as a follow-on to that i said well if you carry that logic all the way through that the medium has power to shape the message and what does it mean that god came in the form of a human being talk about a medium a human being yeah and that means that all of us are media 
media for we are constantly <laughs> communicating a kind of message in the world uh, with our existence. And so I just took some time in that video to kind of articulate one way to think about the nature of this medium. And of course, uh, there are hundreds of thousands of ways to bifurcate the human being. So this is just one gross version of it. You, you have the physical aspect, the body, the physical body, and I talk in terms of three bodies, the physical body, the energetic body, and the essential body. And all three of these things function and do different things. So that's the big overview. Right. And so just to get into these and, and kind of fast forward to where we're getting, because I really want to walk through the energetic and the essential body, the fixed body, uh, we all know what that is. Um, and you kind of give a Shaquille O'Neal example of you could lift all the weights you want and drink all the protein shakes you want, uh, but you're never going to be seven foot two playing post in the NBA. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> so there's, there's some basic physical limits that my body's DNA gives me. That's right. That's right. Then the next step of this um, is that there is a energetic body. Um, there's an energy side to us. Um, you want to walk me through kind of, uh, and, and I love how um, you go, you talk about the body and you say, look, it's earthly, it's fixed. Um, you know, it's the dust, if you will. Energetic uh, is ocean-like, it's fluid. You want to walk me through kind of what you mean when you talk about the energetic body? Yeah, I, I, uh, I use, I think somewhere in there, maybe I don't, I use the metaphor, I think, of, of the states of, of elements, meaning solid liquid gas. <laughs> so, right. The body is sort of solid, the, the energetic, the physical body is solid, the energetic body is liquid, and the essential body is more like gas. Yeah. And each one is progressively more expansive and liberated. Um, uh, so when we talk about the energetic body, what we're really talking about there is this phenomenon that, that we can't quite see with our five senses, but we our sixth sense picks it up. Mm -hmm. And a great example would be if you've ever met Bono, or maybe you haven't met Bono, but if you've ever seen him on stage, the lead singer of U2, you know that he's not a very a man of great stature. Yeah. He's not physically outsizing everybody else. But he can somehow, through his energy, fill stadiums yeah. with ease. And you could bring someone else on stage. There are five other guys on the stage with him, three other guys, that they don't fill the, the room the way he does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you could put Oprah on a stage. She fills stadiums. And no one knows why or how, but she just does. That's the energetic body. It's this, this part of you that has its own thumbprint that is felt. And I'm just giving one metaphor around size. That's just sheer size. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they, um, these are things, you know, emotions can be like love, anger, um, uh, yes. uh, shame, so, guilt. This is, uh, I, I think that. I, that's the domain of the energetic body is the emotional life. That's right. Call it the emotional body, but yeah, the, the energetic body is is the emotions, and they take form, they take shape in the physical body. That's right. Anger rises up, sadness falls down, literally. Yep. Uh, fear constricts; it gets tighter, it gets knotted. Um, but those are all the, the way the energetic body interacts with the physical body. Yeah. And so, you, you know, we talk about those fluids or the fluid of those emotions, how they can come and they can go. Um, and then you break down the essence part of the human experience, um, which we can call the spirit. We can call the soul. Uh, we can call, uh, Rohr calls it the immortal diamond, however you want to frame that. Um, mm -hmm. and this Here's what I loved about this. I loved how uh, you shared that it's unchanging. 
it's unlimited. Um, that it's it's like the sky. So instead of land, instead of water, um, this is the thing in which we we uh, you know we have our being. It's very vast. It's open. It's boundless. Uh, and really, the book is trying to get you to to listen to this place, right? So if we can if we can start in the the essential side of our body then probably our emotions are going to be a little bit more aligned and probably our physical body isn't going to have uh, the ailments or the challenges that it may have. Um, you want to walk down the road of kind of the, the essence of all of us? Yeah, so you just said it quite brilliantly, and I don't know that there's a lot of words to describe the essence other than it's a direct experience, candidly. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's one that you, it, you have it whether you experience it or not. Right. Uh, but it, it is a, a, a delightful place, and most people have had glimpses of it along the way. And the great masters who have walked the earth have figured out how to stabilize it, which is why they can laugh in the face of death and the face of injustice and um, bring love and healing and still weep and cry in the midst mm. of the pain and not be overcome or overwhelmed because they know that you cannot scorch the sky. You cannot stab the sky. You cannot crucify the sky. Um, these are not those things. And so I would say that the relationship and the understanding of these three parts is, is artificial, of course, on some level, it's just there to help you think about it. But it is helpful to understand that, um, when you find your physical body, um, when you tune in to the senses of your physical body, it is giving you indicators of what's going on in your energetic body, which is also an indicator of how you're relating to your essential body. So your essential body is unchanging. Yes. You can't do anything to it or with it. But the other two are constantly changing. And they are changing effectively in relationship to this unchanging part. That's it. Yes. Bam. That's what I and, was trying to get at. And so, so all that to say, sometimes in my work with leaders is we sit and I'll just say, um, close your eyes from it. They're working through some issue, right? They're talking through it, talking through it. They haven't quite solved the puzzle. And I'll just say, can you, can you tell me a part of your body that you're aware of? Close your eyes, take a breath. Can you tell me a part of your body that you're most aware of when you think about this issue? And they'll be like, uh, nothing. And I'll be like, okay, just sit with that for a little while. Breathe. Let's try it again. Notice your feet. I'll do a whole body scan. I'm gonna go, you know what? My back left shoulder. Okay. What's your back left shoulder got going on? Uh, it's, it's like a, it's like a little pain. Okay. Is that pain circular or like a square or a star? Or does it have a shape? It's like an amoeba. It's an amoeba. Is it hard or soft? Hard is what color is it? Red. So you have a red amoeba in your shoulder, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, like, I don't, I don't know. And as you work with this over time, what starts to happen is that body part is communicating with you. Something about your energetic body, which is also something about your relationship to the essential quality of who you are. And this is the seat of all wisdom. And so when you're wrestling, working the puzzle of this existence, which we all have to work the puzzle, um, these are the resources along the way. And when you ignore those resources, these vehicles, these media, um, you cut yourself off from the vast wisdom of who you are. Yeah. Man, just the idea of these three bodies being media is like mind-blowing for me um and and it's almost like a radar above a radar above a radar because um, <laughs> if you want to know if you want to know what's happening in the physical body um then then you may want to check the emotional radar uh check the energetic radar and then if you want to know what's going on at the energetic radar you may want to check the soul radar the essence radar um 
because they really do. I mean, my gosh, 2012 for me was the discovery of such radars um, and how they can manifest themselves in all these different ways. Um, and you, you, uh, you also, in that message, you said that the, as far as the essence goes, this is something you must eat and know. It's not like you can just study this and read a great book and be like, oh yeah, I have essence, I have a soul, I've got a spirit, that's great. You really have to, um, you got to sit with this song. You, you, you've got to, you've got to be, uh, with this inner desire, this inner spark. Um, and then from there, watch out. Cause that's, you know, then you've entered into, um, the beautiful part of the mystery and the path that I think you're really trying to get us all to. Mm. Indeed. Yeah. It's a good word. Indeed. Love it. So you guys, if you haven't, uh, or if you've got access to online, which we all do, make sure to go to shanehips.com and check out that message. Is it called the medium is the message? I think it is. Um, um I think it's called the ultimate medium, the ultimate medium. You have, you have three move, three films. One is the hidden power, uh, peanuts, beer and letting go. And then the ultimate medium. And awesome. they were all part of a conference we did and they're all free. So they are. And it's so good. Uh, so make sure you guys, we, we kind of ran through that pretty quickly, but it's this, it's a massive, massive idea, uh, that I know for your life, your businesses, your career, uh, relationships has huge, huge, uh, implications. Uh, if you can kind of dial in the radar above the radar, above the radar. Um, so before we go and wrap this up, always ask everybody, um, what's currently keeping Shane Hips curious? Any new books, ideas, um, anything? Yeah, I am. Um, I'm endlessly uh, curious <laughs> about what it is to be human. That just doesn't ever seem to go away for me. And how how growth happens, how we evolve and change. Um, so there's a particular system that I've been playing around in lately called the leadership maturity framework, <clears throat> which has researched effectively nine stages of um, adult development. That is 40 years of research by Suzanne Cook-Reuter, um, a Harvard PhD, and uh, been extremely helpful in understanding humans and how they change. So wow. that's what I'm into right now. And what's the name of that again? Uh, the, the leadership maturity framework. It's, it's, it's a specific part of a larger body of knowledge and research called ego development theory. Interesting. And there are 10 or so different practitioners and she happens to be the one that I'm most familiar with. And, well, very cool. Um, just having fun. Very cool. It's uh, really upstate nerdy stuff. So. Hey, no, I love it. I love it. Um, I'll have to check it out. Um, what advice would you give to your younger self? Oh, I wouldn't have any advice. I would, <laughs> I would, I wouldn't probably listen depending on what age I'm at, but, um, I would say, I love you. Interesting. Yeah. That's what I would say to my younger self. That's a good word. Wow. So, um, if people are interested in what you do, they want to find your books, watch your videos, uh, maybe chat about bringing you on board to train in their company, uh, or coach and so forth, where would you encourage, uh, encourage us to go? Best place, your website? Yeah, probably. I'm supposed to have a, a website for my consulting business. Uh, and I don't, and I don't, I'm just too busy. And I guess my business is doing well, but, um, yeah, if, if people are in need of uh, corporate kind of help with 
vision, values, leadership development, sticky situations, what have you. Um, I do that work. And so you can reach out to me at shanehips.com and there's a connect button and you can email me. Beautiful. Well, man, uh, we are super grateful for you and your generosity uh, and giving us some of your time today. Thanks so much uh, for the book you've written or the books you've written. Love that work you've put into the world. Um, And I'm hopeful that a lot of our listeners will uh, seek you out, buy some of these books, dive into this wisdom, uh, and have you be a part of making the world a better place through their life, business, and so forth. So um, thanks so much for joining us, man. We sure do appreciate it. Uh, It was a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Okay, Shane, we'll talk soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Shane. Make sure you go to shanehips.com. Check out his videos that are available there and some of the books that he has available for purchase. I know that you will find all of this content uh, and information to be a great light in your life. And as you approach this week, may you pause by the orchid, listen to the bluebirds sing, and be love. This episode today is brought to you by Holsty. You guys have heard me speak in the past about Holsty. We've had one of the co-founders of Holsty on here, Mike Radpavar, and I cannot say enough good things about what these guys put into the world. For the month of May, the word is simplicity, uh, and every month they reground us, all of us that have kind of joined this Holsty movement, in a word. Uh, the month before was compassion. This month it's simplicity. Um, some One month before it was imagination. There are all these different and beautiful things to unpack. I can't say enough good things about it. So they sponsor us. They love what we're doing here. We love what they're doing. We're very aligned with all things Holsty, and I can't say enough good things about them. Go to Holsty.com, H-O-L-S-T-E-E.com, and join the monthly subscription. I think you'll find this to be a beautiful, enlightening, uh, just great tool for your overall life, relationships, businesses, and so forth. You can use the checkout code Ashton, A-S-H-T-O-N, and you'll get a little discount there uh, if you join the monthly Holsty subscription.